Doesn't it just be dressed singular? You're a rich girl and you're gone too far cause Welcome back to Lyrics for Lunch, the podcast that used to be the freak king of the piercing shop. Okay. All right. I like where you're going with this. I'm your host, Aviv Rubenstein. This is the show where we do deep dives into the famous or not-so-famous songs. Wait. Deep dives into the not-so-famous history of your favorite songs. I'm joined this, and I'm doing the intro two weeks in a row, so I'm very bad at it uh <laughs> i'm joined this week and every week by Lindsay tucker hello it's me Lindsay. hi <laughs> Lindsay tucker hello it's me Lindsay. <laughs> so what are we talking about today Lindsay? um today we are talking about i have no fucking idea okay so this this episode starts with a shout out to my students maggie chloe and georgia who insisted i do this episode georgia will eventually be our social media manager uh so you can all say hi to georgia on when you see see her online we're just gonna jump right into it let's do it this is also another this is another mystery episode so uh i feel like some listeners will know who i'm talking about before Lindsay, and that's okay elizabeth woolridge grant was born on june 21st 1985 so she's hmm. just slightly older than we are. Uh, she was born in Manhattan. To Her parents are uh, Robert England Grant Jr., who was a copywriter for The Gray Group. The Gray Group is like an advertising and marketing agency. Hmm. This, will provo- this will prove to be one of Elizabeth's skills as she starts her music career. And, ad uh, agency pat- stuff? Ad agency stuff and marketing stuff. And uh, Patricia Ann Grant, who was an account executive also at The Gray Group. So... She has a younger sister, Caroline, whose nickname is Chuck. Caroline, you're the reason for the name Chuck. So that this wouldn't be weird on its own, but she also has a younger brother named Charles. <laughs> so, all right. I don't know. I don't know what that's all about. Charles' nickname, Caroline. Yeah, Car- Carolyn, for some reason. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, in her early teens, Lizzie, she went by Lizzie back then, uh, developed a drinking problem. This is her quote from The Telegraph. When I was very young, I was sort of floored by the fact that my mother and father and everyone I knew was going to die one day, and myself too. And I had a sort of philosophical crisis. I couldn't believe that we were mortal. For some reason, that knowledge sort of overshadowed my experience. I was unhappy for some time. I got into a lot of trouble. I used to drink a lot. That was a hard time in my life. You know, I find it like sometimes I have anxiety and sometimes I do also find it to be disturbing. I agree. We're totally going to die. And like it could actually be in like 20 days. Could be any, could be literally any time. Yeah. But this is some grade A existential ennui for like a 14 year old. Yeah, for sure. She also had a little bit more of a down to earth statement saying, I was a big drinker at the time. I would drink every day. I would drink alone. I thought the whole concept was so fucking cool. My parents were worried. 
I was worried. I knew it was a problem when I liked it more than I liked doing anything else. I was like, I'm fucked. I'm totally fucked. Like, at first, it's fine. And then you think you have a dark side. It's exciting. And then you realize the dark side wins every time if you decide to indulge in it. And it was the worst thing that ever happened to me. Woof. Her drinking got so bad that her parents had to send her to boarding school at the age of 14 to get her sober. That's really young to be that drunk. Yes, I agree. (laughs) Her uncle worked at, just so happened to work at uh, Kent School, which is a fancy pants Connecticut prep school. Okay. And he was an admissions officer, and he secured Lizzie the financial aid to go there. Right? So she got real lucky about her her uncle. And so Connecticut, so she was in New York City? She she was in New York City, and then um, she moved to upstate New York. When she was like one, her father left his job at the Gray Group to work in selling domain names. Like he used to be the guy that if you wanted to get lindsaytucker.com, you would like go to him and he would broker this domain name for you. All right. Yeah, I don't know, man. Yeah, it it was (laughs) in in the late 90s and early 2000s. You better you better fucking believe it. Um, And at. This fancy pants prep school, her uncle taught her how to play the guitar. He was kind of like a folky, reformed hippie that was working in admissions at this fancy school. So he taught her how to play uh, six basic chords that would help her as a songwriter. She said she had a particular trouble with the F chord. It's a difficult chord. Okay. (laughs) Uh, After she graduated, she went to Fordham University, Fordham College, Fordham University, Mm. and studied philosophy specifically metaphysics all right so she's already in college and she's not a singer songwriter well fun you should funny you should say that so in spring of 2005 while a freshman in college still lizzie registered a seven track ep with the copyright office and the application for the ep was called uh the ep was called rock me stable but now it's known as the young like me ep trying to rack my brain and see if I yeah <laughs> well we're gonna listen to a track from a young like me ep that i emailed to you i i anonymized it so that you you wouldn't be able to tell who it was do you think i know who this person is like at all yeah okay i needed a change of uh, what do we think of this? How do we how do we feel about this? It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. I I think it's like kind of un, unspecial in almost every way, right? Agree. What year uh, was this? Two thousand five. Okay. So it was like prime time for music like this. Sure. Um, and then there was a second EP called From the End, which was which was recorded under the stage named May Jailer. So she was May Jailer for a while, for 2005 and 2006. She also did an acoustic album called Sirens under the name May Jailer. We don't have to listen to May Jailer because it sounds exactly like Rock Me Stable. There's like no difference, really. Okay. I have a theory on who this is now because of the stage names. Interesting. Well, we only have (laughs) half a page left until I tell you who it is. Okay. So do you want to write it on a piece of paper? Yeah. And hi- and hide it from me? Sure. And then in a half a page, <laughs> we'll find you'll, out. You'll, you'll, sh- you'll show it to the 
This is a fun one. This is a fun bit that we're doing. <laughs> so she played a show, her first public performance in 2006, and it was at the Williamsburg Live Songwriting Competition. Williamsburg, Lizzie, Brooklyn? Yes. Because she lived in Fort, she lived, she was at Fordham, and she was styling her name L I Z Z I at the time, Lizzie Grant, and she met this dude named Van Wilson, who was an A and R rep for Five Points Records, which was an a, an independent label in 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 New York, and then couple, the next year, while a senior at Fordham, she submitted a demo acoustic tape, um, which two two Five Points, which landed her a record contract for $10,000. Is that a good deal? I don't fucking know. <laughs> I, I don't know what else is is part of the record deal. If it's like $10,000 forever, no, it's not. But $10,000 up front for like a, a first-time I'll artist. Take is, yeah, I'll take it. And she took it too. She used the money the way any 22-year-old would use the money. She relocated to Manhattan Mobile Home Park, a trailer what? park in North Bergen, New Jersey. Wait, why? She's just moved into a trailer park. So that her songs would be more real? I th- I think that there was like a level to that. Truly, I do. <laughs> but I think it's also like, you know, I got 10 grand. I'm going to live on my own. Park, yeah, yeah. You're getting closer to, to figuring out who this is. <laughs> And she also began working with this dude named David Kahn, who was the the producer for Five Points Records, and the owner of the label, David Nickdern, don't worry, the two Davids are not in this for long, um, said, our plan was to get it all organized and to have a record to, ready to go, and she'd be touring right after she graduated from college. Okay. So. So she's like, in the trailer park in college? Yes. And in her senior year, yes. Okay. And like like a lot of artists, this is still uh, David's quote, like a lot of artists, she morphed. When she first came to us, she was playing a plunky little acoustic (laughs) guitar and had sort of straight blonde hair. Very cute woman. A little bit dark. Very intelligent. We heard that, but she very quickly kept evolving. So Lizzie graduated in 2008 and released an EP under the name Lizzie Grant, Lizzie with a Y called kill kill lizzie with a y kill kill yeah she didn't say lizzie with a y it's just lizzie grant but instead of l-i-z-z-i it's l-i-z-z-y so she's really maybe if i change the spelling of my name i'll be more successful (laughs) so it's 2008 right the uh, according to the record label it's time for her to get her her shit together get get a full length album and she wanted a new stage name something glamorous Something that reminded her of the beach in Miami. Something that, quote, sounded gorgeous coming off the tip of the tongue. So here's the time for your guests. Show, show the audience at home. You are correct. <laughs> she, took, she took inspiration from an old Hollywood actor and a car that was manufactured only in Brazil for some reason. Lana Turner and the Ford Del Rey. There we have it, folks. It's Lana Del Rey. So I heard a story about her. Oh, we're going to hear a ton of stories about well, her. Well, I'm just saying, like, I heard, I just heard, like, oh, you know, Lana Del Rey put out a bunch of albums under her real name and she didn't make it. So she thought if she changed her name, she would get famous and it worked. 
So, right. So this is this is part of what we're exploring today is like, who is the real Elizabeth Grant? Okay. Who is Lana Del Rey really? Is she anybody? Is she anybody? Does honestly, she even exist? Honestly, I don't know. <laughs> she is a hologram. So now if, now, if you remember your history, 2008, when Lizzie was a struggling singer-songwriter in New York and working with Five Point Records, that's kind of when Lady Gaga was really becoming a national star. And Lady Gaga, named Stephanie Germanata, was also in the New York City singer-songwriter scene at the same time as Lizzie. And she claims Lana... I'm going to start referring to her as Lana, by the way. Lana claims to have never met Lady Gaga until much later, at least. But maybe they like played a couple shows together. They were like in the scene together. So on what appears to be the recording session for her first self-titled debut album as Lana, Lana Del Rey, she records our song of the week, which is called So Legit. So Legit to Quit. Uh, yeah, so let's take a listen to... So legit. You were the freak king of the piercing shot. All the girls thought they could sing, but they're really not. Shit, I don't get it. Why is it just pictures of her and Lady Gaga? Well, Maybe we'll figure that out once we hear the, once we read the lyrics. Breakup anthem? Well, they don't know each other. I hear Lana Del Rey in this, as opposed to like the Lizzie stuff, where I definitely can't hear her, her vibe. I'm so curious about this Gaga shit. Yeah. Here. 
So let's quickly, if you couldn't catch all the lyrics, let's quickly do a dramatic reading of So Legit. You were the freak king of the piercing shop. All the girls thought they could sing, but they're really not shit. I don't get it. You're looking like a man, but you're talking like a baby. How the fuck is your song in a Coke commercial? Crazy. I don't get it. Your taste is once exquisite what happened to brooklyn what happened to new york what happened to my scene what happened to punk rock rock okay first of all i don't know if your scene was punk rock lana but okay you called me the queen of the downtown scene babe how the fuck would you go switch it up and then replace me i don't get it i'm so legit tell me was it because I wasn't platinum in jewels that perhaps you thought I was a little bit of an uncool kid. Was that it? Stephanie, you suck. <laughs> I know you're selling 20 million. Wish, wish they could have seen you when we booed you off in Williamsburg. You're hurt. I know my words don't hurt you. Oh, girl, I see you walking around in your pearls thinking that you're number one. You're so funny because, honey, you're not. What happened to Brooklyn, the last frontier? They said you could make it anywhere if you could make it here. But where? No magic in the air. What happened to Brooklyn? What happened to our scene, baby? Have we all gone gaga crazy? Remember when the streets used to be dangerous and we were born bad and we were born bad? Punk rock, punk rock. The boys used to punch each other in the face, and girls were walking around wasted. Everyone had a good night, come back in sunlight, punk rock, punk rock. (laughs) It's not punk rock if you call it punk rock. But also, like, (laughs) this is not like I may have met Gaga in passing once. This is like, I fucking hate this person. Clearly. Why did she write this? So why would someone write this? What do you think? (laughs) there's no real like you know you will see we'll you'll there's going to be a couple of things that we a couple of standard refrains that we get from her but what do you think the the the, jealousy yeah right jealousy and and it feels kind of like what we said about rupaul where rupaul like saw someone make it that he thought he was better than and was like wait a minute what the fuck is this sure and they're around the same age, right? I think I think Gaga is like a year older. And that's sure one way to get publicity, but ballsy. Like, I wouldn't fucking do that. 
Fun fact, this is not a way to get publicity because Five Points released her self-titled debut, self-titled as in Lana Del Rey, debut in January 2010 without So Legit on it. Oh. But the audio leaked in 2013. And hoo boy. <laughs> oh, shit. So, side note. When the song came out, Lana and Gaga had become friends, maybe. They were spotted playing board games with Lindsay Lohan at the Chateau Marmont or some shit. And Gaga has never really mentioned it publicly, except to say that she and Lana are cool. Lana Del Rey later passed the whole thing off as a misunderstanding. Please. I don't know, man. (laughs) But it did start a little bit of an online flame war between the fans that we don't really need to get into. It seems to have entirely blown over by now. But... That's just petty as hell. Remember, petty as hell. Petty as hell. Petty as hell. (laughs) So, as I mentioned, in January of 2010, in January of 2010, her album was released digitally only after sitting on the shelf for two years. According to all accounts, it was ready in 2008 and, and Five Points just let it sit on the shelves, didn't really know what to do with it. And then it released digital only in January of 2010. And her father helped with the marketing of the record because that was his old job. That was his thing. Yeah. But then th- only three months later in April of 2010, the record was pulled from the iTunes store. Why? Well, because Lizzie bought the rights to the record back from Five Points for the opportunity to distribute it herself. She felt like she didn't... Uh, Why are we calling her Lizzie again? Lana. Because <laughs> I wasn't sure when, it went, when I was going to reveal this. Okay. Because the, their mer- the personalities are merging. <laughs> Lana bought the rights to the record back from Five Points for the opportunity to distribute it herself. And so... This feels like a moment of privilege. I want to like focus on this for a second because it's not like Five Points would just easily let go of the rights to this record that mm-hmm. someone wanted. So it feels right. like it's, I don't think she was paying her own money for this. I don't know whose money she was paying. I can't speak to that. But like that's like a thing that someone with money can do. Yeah, like do. how much would it cost? More than $10,000. Okay. Let's just put it that way. So three months later, she had her new managers wriggle her out of the five points record contract because she said, quote, nothing was happening there. And shortly after, she moved in with one of her managers in the UK and they lived together for a few years. And then she reappeared on the scene a couple years later. Different person, right? Now I'm Lana Del Rey. Okay. What's happening? (laughs) So she disappears a couple years. She comes back. She reinvents herself. Reinvented. Living the Lana Del Rey lifestyle. And who's her record company? Well, she doesn't have a record company right now. So in 2011, she uploaded a self-made music video for a song called Video Games. Sorry. It featured vintage footage interspersed with shots of her singing on her webcam. We can watch... A yeah, little bit of that. video games. You know, this has... I don't know, man. <laughs> so, have you seen... Have you seen this music video? No. 
this is like her first big hit. In your fast car, whistling my name. Open up a beer and you say get over here and play a video game. I'm in his favorite sundress, watching me get undressed. Take that body downtown. I say you the bestest, leaning for a big kiss, put his favorite perfume on, go play a video game. So now she's she's like fully the Lana Del Rey persona with the voice and the hair and the lips and the makeup and the and the music to support this like persona, right? So couple of things about video games. Expanding, this is from Digital Spy, expanding on the song's meanings to MME, to NME, she said, I was writing about this guy I'd been seeing and the way our relationship was at the time. It was at the time in my life when I had let go of my own personal career ambitions and just started enjoying being with him at home. Explaining how her partner at the time would come home from work and play video games, more specifically the massively popular online role-playing game World of Warcraft, Del Rey said that she was reflecting on the sweetness of it but also something else i was longing for at the same time the lyrics are swinging in the backyard pull up in your fast car whistling my name and lana said that it was actually based on a real experience he'd come home and i'd see him but then the chorus heaven is a place on earth with you tell me all the things you want to do wasn't like that that was the way i had wished it was the melody sounds so compelling and heavenly because i wanted it to be that way okay Okay. Bit of and a this fantasy, like, bit of reality. Exactly, which is like her whole persona, and the, but like the math, the math is is mathing me to think that this is about like her manager, because that's who she was living with at the time. That was like the relationship that she was in. Okay. We she's been linked to like a lot of people, engaged to a lot of people. We're going to talk about a couple of them, not just because it's like a parade of men that that she has been linked to, but because they a lot of them couple of them inform what's what's happening okay so video games was a became a viral internet sensation which is when this things like this happened um and she was signed by stranger records and she released this song as her debut single once again debut having released like four albums previous to this Mm -hmm. and a full length that she pulled from the pulled from the internet Lana told The Observer, I just put the song online a few months ago because it was my favorite. To be honest, it wasn't going to be the single, but people have really responded to it. The song went to number nine in the UK, earned her a Q award for the next big thing in October of 2011, and something called an Ivor Novello Award for Best Contemporary Song in January of 2012. And in the same month, January of 2012, she jo- she signed a joint deal with Interscope Records and Polydor to release her second studio album called Born to Die. So in 2012, The Guardian wrote this for the release of Born to Die. You can still find traces of Lizzie Grant online. There is a video dated June 8th, 2009 that shows a young, casually dressed blonde woman in a green t-shirt and jeans singing alone on stage at a New York music show called The Variety Box. Grant's voice was strong, but she she seemed shy and spoke quietly to the audience to a smattering of applause. 
Grant looked like any one of hundreds of young artists trying to make it in the clubs and bars of New York, singing their hearts out in hopes that one day they would be spotted. After all, that's how the big names from Bob Dylan to Lady Gaga got their breaks. But success never happened to Lizzie Grant. Her one and only album sank virtually without a trace. Lana Del Rey has quite the story to tell. After first appearing on the internet last year with an apparently home-produced video for a song called Video Games, she has been a cult hit. She married her music to a mysterious image self-styled as Gangster Nancy Sinatra. She has said this about herself numerous times. Gangster Nancy Sinatra. (laughs) What? No way. I guess I could see that. Gangster Nancy Sinatra that paid homage to 60s fashion and CD showbiz glamour. In an interview she recently shot poolside at the Chateau Marmont in Los Angeles, Del Rey explained her attraction to the notorious celebrity haunt. Quote, it's a place that has inspired so many of my videos and influenced a lot of my visuals. She said through a mouthful, through a mouth now framed by pouting bee stung lips. Yeah, the lips are a little uh, weird. So... According to Lizzie slash Lana, the lips in the in the video games music video are like digitally altered to make her look or maybe like altered with makeup to make her look cartoony. And she's like, these aren't lip fillers. These are real lips. Okay, I don't care. (laughs) Also, I don't believe you. The revelation that Lana Del Rey had a previous life and career as Lizzie Grant makes some people feel victims of an immense confidence trick. When video games first went viral, it became an underground sensation praised for its authentic feel. But then questions were asked. A few critics began to wonder if, far from being some organic wonderkid, the transformation wonderkind, the transformation from Grant to Del, to Del Rey had been planned all along. Her stage name was chosen by her management. What? That's not the story that we heard. Mm-hmm. Rather <laughs> than being an outsider struggling for recognition. Del Rey is, in fact, the daughter of a millionaire father who has backed her career. People were suspicious of the way that Grant's failed album and all of her social media websites disappeared, having been scrubbed from the internet before Del Rey appeared. There has been much speculation as to when Del Rey teamed up with her current label Interscope and how much influence their savvy, savvy marketers might have put in to her original emergence. Okay. I'm with you. Now I'm not gonna I'm 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 gonna put my tinfoil hat on just for a brief second. Cause like how could someone scrub their online presence, especially in the year twenty eleven? It would take someone who had like a complex knowledge of the inner workings of domain registration <laughs> and But also like it's not scrubbed. We just It's not scrubbed because I found you know, I found some stuff. Um, but there was definitely a concerted effort to yeah. hide all of that and have her just come out as just Lana Del Rey. Like, no, you didn't hear hear my failed. You haven't heard before. this, yeah. And and this doesn't like in tw- in twenty twenty three. This is not like a unique thing. This happens all the fucking time. But in twenty twelve, like people were like, what? A record <laughs> label is managing an artist? Like, well, I don't know what the what pearl clutching is going on. Stephen Horowitz, who wrote a cover story for Billboard, says there are a lot of things that don't seem organic about it. She's putting on a show. She's here to entertain us. No fucking shit, Stephen. Yeah. 
Suddenly, many of the fans that had boosted Del Rey turned on her in spectacular fashion. Music blogs poured vitriol on her talents. Some influential music sites, such as Hipster Runoff, have turned to insult have turned insulting Lana Del Rey into an art form. <laughs> so this links to a now defunct hipster runoff article that we're going to talk about a little bit later. But I want to tell a personal story. Around this time, I was working on like a reality dating show. I had just moved to LA and one of the PAs who was talking about dieting and he said something I'll never forget. He said, I'm on the Lana Del Diet. Whenever I'm hungry, I just listen to Lana Del Rey, and then I lose my appetite. Which oh is, I think, God. one of the brutalest fucking <laughs> jabs ever. Celebrities even got in on the act. This is back to um, The Guardian. Celebrities even got in on the act. Actress and musician Juliette Lewis tweeted, Watching this, quote, singer on SNL is like watching a 12-year-old in their bedroom when they're pretending to sing and perform. Even news anchor Brian Williams weighed in, sending an email that was later published on Gawker that called Del Rey's performance one of the worst outings in Saturday Night Live history. Okay, that's Allison Williams' dad, though, right? Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, so. It's now, now you're starting to see the Matrix. <laughs> But it's not just Del Rey's music and SNL performance that's being hauled over the coals. It's also her appearance. Pictures of Lizzie Grant, when con so this is the lips thing. Pictures of Lizzie Grant, when contrasted to Del Rey, have led many to speculate that she's had collagen injections into her lips and perhaps even plastic surgery. Is the charge that she vehemently denied in a recent interview, I haven't had anything done at all. I'm quite pouty. That's just how I look when I sing. I mean, I don't believe her, but I also just wish we as a society would put less emphasis on how women look. I agree with both things. Themselves. But it's like just so weird that she's like, no, no. Yeah. She's like a gaslight queen. Yeah. I know, no, I've always been like this. And Lana Del Rey has many defenders too. This is still the Guardian. She has she has many defenders too. Senior news editor at In Touch Weekly. Noah Levy says she's a gorgeous creature. <laughs> Thanks, Noah. The, yeah, right. Horowitz, the Billboard writer, said that whatever the truth of her emergence is, there's little doubt about her talent or commitment. Quote, I think she cares about the art that she is creating. I don't think that that is fake at all. No. Well. Is it? <laughs> well. Despite the outrage directed at her, Lana is employing one of the oldest tricks in the book, the creation of a stage persona. Some of the great names have done it. David Lady Bowie Gaga. and Madonna and Lady Gaga and Bob, D Bob Dylan used to be Robert Zimmerman and Iggy Pop was James Osterberg. But like not an article goes by that does not compare her to Lady Gaga. Let's talk a little bit about why So Legit is the song of the week because it originally okay. started out being a different song. I think that this is my my oh, my opinion alone that she saw what Stephanie Germanata did to get famous and perceived it to be like a causal thing right Stephanie was a singer-songwriter and then she sold out she started wearing weird meat dresses she changed <laughs> her name to something weird wasn't it just meat dress singular well she started dressing in meat <laughs> there more than one <laughs> i don't know man and 
and created a mystique around her uh-huh. and then became very famous. And I can do that too. Okay. She thinks she can do it. I'm going to crank it up to 11. Right? So I, I mean, think- it's not... Vampire Nancy Sinatra is not an 11 compared to Gaga. Well, hang on. <laughs> just just you wait. Okay. Uh, this is still The Guardian. In fact, Lana Del Rey's rise says as much about the nature of modern fame in the U.S. The Says much about the nature of modern fame in the U.S. The internet has allowed figures like her to come rapidly to the fore of the cultural landscape, whether or not their emergence is planned by a record executive or happens spontaneously from someone's bedroom. Guess which one it is. <laughs> it has sped up the fame cycle. It is worth noting that the huge backlash to Del Rey is happening even before her first album has been released. This reveals... A cultural obsession with the authenticity that fans, artists, and corporations all prize above all else. Well, that's super weird because, I mean, like, boy bands, Britney, like, none of these people came out of a bedroom. Ryan Gosling. <laughs> Correct. But but the story is, and this goes back to, like, the 30s when these news stories were planted in the press owned by the movie studios being like, oh, well, this person grew up on a farm and they, they married their <laughs> high school sweetheart and really they're, like, sucking dicks in, a, in an underground Hollywood club. Like, this is always the spin. And for whatever reason, for we thought that internet the internet was, like, above that, was immune to that, and clearly it's not. Mm-mm. So, oh my God, 26-year-old changes her look. News at 11. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. In 2012, The Observer wrote of Lana Del Rey, long story short, she's a failed pop star who got lip injections, changed her name, and now has a great backstory about living in a trailer that makes her that makes the New Jersey Chanteuse shtick as urban outfitters ready as a pair of tight Levi's. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, okay, that the trailer park thing really threw me there in the beginning because because when it did seemed this too performative? When does this performance begin? And this is why I said, you know, twenty minutes ago, I don't know who Lana Del Rey is. I don't know if Lana Del Rey exists. I don't know who Lizzie is. Like, I don't know when this like prestigioning of this persona happened. But also, like, okay, if you're in college, mm-hmm. many of us lived in, like, dorms or, like, Correct. shitty off-campus housing. Right. And I've only been to, like, one trailer park in my life, but it was really nice. And, like, I yeah, would I rather think... have a trailer and be off my own than be in, like, a shitty dorm. So maybe it was actually, like, a, a privilege thing that she used to tell a different story. How, yeah. So I think she she... You know, she had her own place mm-hmm. as a senior in college, which is which is a privilege. But she loves to be the trailer park Nancy Sinatra and use use whatever that cachet gives her. Right. Yeah. This, by the way, this observer paragraph is from a story about how Lana's publicist bullied Thought Catalog. Remember Thought Catalog from a second ago? Yeah. Bullied Thought Catalog and specifically a writer named Dave Schilling to take down a parody con- uh, some parody content that he had written. No way. So he wrote, after the SNL thing blew up and she was being made fun of, he wrote a defense of Lana Del Rey from the perspective of Lana Del Rey, signed it his own name. Like, it wasn't like 
he didn't put it up as Lana Del Rey, but he wrote as Lana Del Rey. And they, the publicist sent him like a cease and desist. And even though they're not lawyers and can't, le- like they can't do anything, <laughs> um, Thought Catalog w- pulled it. And so he sent it to Hipster Runoff and they published it anyway. Oh, wow. So Thought Catalog was afraid. Thought Catalog was afraid. They just didn't want the bad press. Yeah. But why? And she, at this point, she was on Interscope traffic. Records. Who doesn't want traffic? I know. I feel the same way, but I couldn't find the, the, the article has since been taken down everywhere. I don't think Hipster Runoff exists anymore. Um, couldn't find it. Boo. So, okay. How are we feeling about, let me take your temperature. We're at the end of act one. Okay. How are we feeling about her persona and who she is and the art that she makes currently? To me, it's still on the high, very high on the unoriginal scale. Like, oh, sure. you're you're going for the vintage look. It's like mm-hmm. your fucking friend. Like, oh, okay, you're wearing cut off jeans and you're too skinny. Uh-huh. I forgot. I forgot who you were talking about. Of <laughs> even the future, it is imperative that you bleep that out of the podcast. I wouldn't call us friends. It's yes, the same but performative same. bullshit that's like super unoriginal. Okay, so you paid $45 for a pair of Goodwill shorts and you're trying to make it look. It feels akin to the dudes who are dressing like greasers and talking about how like music died with rockabilly or something. Or like sus- the of 10 years ago the like suspenders and weird hats and mu- and mustaches and whatnot <laughs> yeah it's the same unoriginal crap <laughs> i think this is her reaction to the suspenders and weird hats because this is the era that we're talking about right yeah. yeah okay so as a part of the reissue of born to die which is called the paradise edition lana included a song called cola which has some interesting lyrics back on the gaga hit train you wish. <laughs> oh yeah. I got the taste for men who older. It's always been so it's no surprise. Harvey's in the sky with diamonds and he's making me crazy. Here through the whispers, the line is, I've got a taste for men older who are men. older. Yep, I heard that. It's always been, so it's no surprise. Harvey's in the sky with diamonds, and he's making me crazy. All he wants to do is party with his pretty baby. I know your wife, and she wouldn't mind. Whoa. So, what... What Harvey do you think she could be talking about? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> so before we get into the Harvey stuff, I wanna I wanna reference this pretty baby. I wanna look at this pretty baby reference. Okay. So all he wants to do is party with his pretty baby. What do you think that means? Did he say pretty baby or pretty babies? Pretty baby singular. Well, I heard he has a really gross small penis. 
Do you, you think the pretty baby is his dick? <laughs> his pet name for his ugly penis. <laughs> Somehow that is worse than reality. <laughs> so Pretty Baby is a movie directed by Louis Mal and written by Polly Platt, the great Polly Platt, starring a 12-year-old Brooke Shields as a prostitute. Oh, fuck. Well, so she's not a prostitute. She's she's got a mother who's a prostitute, and she like befriends Keith Carradine, um, David Carradine's father, who like has like a kind of a weird relationship with her. But the film is a true account of a young girl who was sexually exploited and forced into prostitution by her mother. Damn. So she makes a lot of old timey references. Pretty Baby is like, all he wants to do is party with this 12-year-old prostitute, and that's me. So, according to Nikki Swift, who is a music journalist, a source told Page Six that Weinstein pursued Lana Del Rey in the past, but she rebuffed him. When Weinstein found out that his name was in the track, he allegedly, quote, went bananas and insisted that she change the lyrics. But And she did. She removed Harvey's name, and so in the version that you can buy now, it says, ah, he's in the sky with diamonds instead of Harvey's in the sky with diamonds. Why'd she do that? I don't know. Maybe she was threatened with a lawsuit. He was notoriously litigious. Lana Del Rey told MTV News in November 2017, quote, when I wrote that song, I suppose I had a Harvey Weinstein, Harry Winston type of character in mind. I envisioned like a benevolent diamond bestowing upon starlets visual like Citizen Kane or something. Okay. I thought it was funny at the time and I obviously find it really sad now. Come on. You can't play dumb now. Can you? She she can and will. <laughs> no, You're like where's to, your... You're starting to pick up the next theme that we're going to deal with. But she did retire the song after the Me Too movement took down Weinstein. It's like just when I think she's a hero, she's like spineless again. Uh Uh-huh. And this is not, you know, this is not a Clapton episode where I'm like, fuck Lana Del Rey. Like, like, she is a very complicated person and I do not know how to Potentially a victim of. And she she has been criticized numerous times for the content of her songs describing... Uh, submissive relationships with much older men. Like like um, having a romantic view of submissive relationships with older men. This thus begins kind of a weird, weird part of her life. In 2014, Lana did another interview with The Guardian for the release of her next album, Ultraviolence. And the headline reads, I wish I was dead already. Okay. Quote, I wish I was, this is the first line of the article. I wish I was dead already, Lana Del Rey says, catching me off guard. She's talking about the heroes she and her boyfriend share, Amy Winehouse and Kurt Cobain among them. Where When I point out that what links them is death and asks if she sees an early death as glamorous, she says, I don't know, um, yeah, and then says, I wish I was dead already. Don't say that, I instinctively say, but I do. You don't. I do. I don't want to keep having to do this, but I am. Do what? Make music? Everything. That's just how I feel. If it wasn't that way, then I wouldn't say it. I wouldn't be I would be scared if I knew death was coming, but there's a dot 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 and then he like does this fucking Rashomon looping story where he's like we're in New Orleans, a city not known for peace and quiet and like just starts the article over again. 
It's so what? fucking weird. Okay, so this is someone who, as a child, yes. was a drunk because because of death. Correct. So I so once again, right? Lana could say, "Hey, man, I want to die and and mean it." Mm-hmm. For Lana's part, she says the quote was taken out of context. This is what she said to Vogue. The the quote was met with plenty of scorn online, but Lana explained later that it was taken out of context. She said, fuck that guy, though. I didn't think he would print it and make it the headline. I was having a really tough time. I'd been on the road for a year. I was really struggling. This is She told this to Pitchfork. I was just stupid and, like, I fucking want to die. Maybe I meant it. I don't really know. During the same Pitchfork interview, she explained how she now records all of her interactions with journalists now because of, quote, years of feeling manipulated and harangued by the media. But the interview at the time posted, the interviewer at the time posted the audio from the segment online after he was accused of taking things out of context. And it's exactly how he said it happened, which is like, it doesn't seem like it was taken out of context, but maybe it could have used a little bit of more context like when you call your first album born to die is this thing kind of fair game yeah and also as a journalist i mean i i have thoughts one is you know he has the audio so what we always had to do was give our audio to the fact checker or get all the quotes checked and so what you don't want is the quotes to get checked because then you have the fact checker calling lana del rey who says no 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 i didn't say I that and then that, your but... article's down the trash so in his defense he's talking to her she's saying it whether she means it or not i mean maybe i'm just a depressy kind of person but like i definitely like one minute will be like oh i don't want to fucking do this anymore and Correct. then i'll next minute i'm like oh my god we're all gonna die i don't want to die <laughs> so like right. yeah that shit happens people are human as a journalist you're like oh this is good stuff and she's not taking it seriously that the journalist is going to write this. That's his job. Yeah, I have similar feelings to you. Plus, also, like, I think every step of the way when Lana is, like, called out for something. So she's called out for, for saying that she wants to die. Um, and every single time she's called out for something, she reacts in the exact worst way possible. <laughs> yeah. So Frances Bean Cobain, daughter of the late Kurt Cobain... um. Didn't like that. Didn't like what? The cl- Lana's oh, quote. that she was like, Kurt Cobain. I love Kurt Cobain. I wish I was dead like him. Uh, <laughs> which is not what she said. Please don't sue me. Um, but Francis Bean tweeted, The death of a young musician is not something to romanticize. I'll never know my father because he died young, and it becomes a desirable feat because people like you think it's cool. Well, it's fucking not. Embrace life because you only get one life. The people you mentioned wasted that life. Don't be one of those people. Nice. In that same article, the writer Tim Jones brings up all of the online hate that Lana had been getting over the last couple of years since her SNL performance. Quote, Jones. When you start looking closely at Lana Del Rey's past three years, it's not hard to understand why she might feel burned by her experience of stardom. You're also forced to wonder why the pop stars who attract the most vitriol are are so often solo female artists. Yeah. So Lana has something to say about that. Would you like to hear what Lana has to say? Yes, I would. People ask me this all the time, she says. 
I think that there's an element of I think that they think there's an element of sexism going on, but I feel that it's more personal. I don't feel I don't see where the female part comes into it. I just can't catch that feminist angle. Okay, this is some real fucking self-absorption there. <laughs> yeah, weird. <laughs> and so Tim Jones mentioned some of the current examples of musicians getting picked on in the spotlight. Miley Cyrus, Lord, Lily Allen, Lady Gaga, whoops, Sinead O'Connor comes to mind. And Taylor Swift. And but not not in twenty twelve. Oh. Or not 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 in twenty fourteen, according she to wasn't? Tim Jones. No, of course she, she was. She always is. So uh Lana has something to say to that. She says, Well, maybe those people are true provocateurs. Oh, but maybe. I, but I'm really not and never have been. Oh my god. I don't think there's any shock value in my stuff. Well, maybe the odd disconcerting lyric, but I think other people probably deserve the criticism because they're eliciting it. All right. Who is this person? Does she have any friends? I have no fucking idea. This is, this is my investigation <laughs> is who is this person? And so Tim Jones is like, well, what about the video for Ride that you just released in which you hook up with a succession of older guys from biker gangs? <laughs> And it has received criticism for, among other things, appearing to glamorize prostitution. And she's like, okay, I could see how that video would raise a feminist eyebrow, but that was more personal to me. It was about my feelings on free love and what the effect of meeting strangers can bring into your life. How can it, how it can make you unhinged in the right way and free you from the social obligations I hope we're growing out of in 2014. So... Tim Jones asked her how much did that video reflect your actual life? And she says, oh, 100%. (laughs) Okay. So I really don't want to like psychoanalyze someone who I think is clearly a victim of trauma. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. instead of like, it's not my job to say that she needs to do the work. I don't know what her trauma is. But I do know that people who don't unpack their trauma act this way about it. I agree. And in her defense, she has been um, sober since 2003, according to multiple sources. And she does a lot of um, outreach with the unhoused community and for um, indigenous people who have lost their land. So she like does some of the outward work, mm-hmm. I want to say. like She's like volunteering and stuff, but I don't... I don't know. I don't know, man. But let's take a let's take a a, a look at a clip from Ride and see what this 100% reflection of her actual life may have looked like. So what do you see it? She's smoking a cigarette at a gas station. Very nice. ill-advised. Yeah, not supposed to do. <laughs> um, she's getting on a motorcycle with some older man. Wrapped in the American flag, it seems to be. Throwing a Molotov cocktail at a bunch of wood. This is very cliche. There's, well, there's, there's nothing inherently problematic with what's going on, right? <laughs> right, Lindsay? Oh, right. Totally. Right, oh, Lindsay? now she's just um, wearing a headdress. What kind of headdress, Lindsay? Native American. But she does all that work, Lindsay. What the hell? What does she have in her hands, Lindsay? A gun. And a flaming, like a bottle rocket? What the fuck is going on? I can't turn away. So I think that this is her true 
this is the true magic of Lana Del, Lana Del Rey is that she she's like such a weird persona at least is like a total train wreck but like glamorous and so you can't look away like if Anna Nicole Smith made a record <laughs> so promoting the same album Ultraviolence Lana told Fader for me the issue of feminism is just not an interesting concept I'm more interested in you know SpaceX and Tesla what's going to happen to our intergalactic possibilities whenever people bring up feminism I'm like god I'm just not really that interested okay this is a person who might not love the parts of herself that are feminine and if think about it if you're a completely wasted 12 13 year old your body's changing and what happened to her yeah I mean because there's a part in everyone, most women's lives where, like, you think it's cool to be, like, one of the guys and be like, the, well, I just don't get along with girls. Girl I just don't whatever. have a lot yeah. of female friends. You know, um, I'm I'm way more into Tesla. And it's like, then, <laughs> then you, like, come into your own and you realize, like, it's cool to like the things that you like. It's it's your female friends are your best friends. <laughs> yeah. And, and she's, like, 28, 29 at this point. So she, she's, like maybe a little too old to be doing that but like we like you said we don't know like what trauma she's dealing with and the problem with these like interviews with stars is they say something once when they're 28 and then it's immortalized and we're like picking on them for it 10 years later but she knows this this is part of <laughs> this is part of her entire brand because in in typical Lana Del Rey fashion this is from Digital Spy she t she's so she's promoting the same album ultraviolence she said in reference to the title track of ultraviolence she told grazia that the song had its foundations in truth quote i used to be a member of an underground sect that was arraigned by a guru he surrounded himself with young girls and he had this insane charisma i couldn't resist as well mm -hmm. so i was in this i'll call it a sect because i was longing for love and security she continued, but then I found out that this guru wasn't a good but a bad person. He thought that he had to break people first before he could build them up again. And at the end, I left the sect. So in 2023, most people know that a guru is never a good person. But there's still a lot of people out there that don't. I mean, I just saw the news headline about some people that were starving themselves. Uh, I don't think this is Jesus real, cult. though. <laughs> I think that this is clearly bullshit. Nothing about this seems real to me. <laughs> and I can't find any other headlines about it. There's nothing. It's not like, oh, Lana Del Rey escapes cult. It's like nothing. <laughs> she just like said this once. Well... And now we're talking about it, right? Oh, yeah. So I think that she's, I think, I really think that she's using a lot of this to okay. her advantage to sell records. This is back to Nikki Swift. Also in 2014, Lana told the fader that she'd been battling a medical condition that had yet to be diagnosed for her at the time. And it severely affected her ability and desire to perform live for a long time. It manifested itself in a tearful performance in Ireland in May of 2013. She said, quote, I'd been sick on tour for about two years with this medical anomaly that doctors couldn't figure out. This was a big part of my life. I just feel really sick a lot of the time, and I can't figure out why. I'd gotten these shots in Russia where we'd just been. It was just heavy. It's just heavy performing for people who really care about you, and you don't really care that much about yourself sometimes. And I thought it was sad. I thought my position was sad. I thought it was sad to be in Ireland singing for people who really cared when I wasn't sure if I did. Hmm. 
this mystery condition sounds like fucking clinical depression. Yeah. Could be. Right? Could be Lyme disease. Could it actually could be Lyme disease. <laughs> no real no real update on what the fuck that's all about though. Like no no follow-ups on that, unfortunately. Mm. I mean, at least she had the self-awareness to understand that about herself, right? Like, I think a lot of times we don't take care of ourselves as much as we take care of other people. I know sometimes, like, I'm just thirsty and, like, I didn't get myself water. But, like, if you were thirsty, I would have got you a glass of water. Thanks. <laughs> no, no. I and, and I think, once again, I'm not trying to demonize her. She's an extremely complicated person that I am trying desperately to understand. Mm-hmm. Such yeah. a good drinker. <laughs> my specialty you know it in 2017 lana del rey tweeted at the stroke of midnight february 24th march 26th april 24th may 23rd ingredients can be found online what Uh uh-huh her tweet referenced the now defunct facebook group mass spell to bind donald trump which instructed that she that the spell be performed at midnight on those dates, and Del Rey tweeted and included the ingredients necessary to complete the spell in order to presumably prevent him from taking office. Uh, so this is this is her quote. Yeah, I did it. Why not? Look, I do a lot of shit. <laughs> yeah. Also, it's fucking Trump. It is fucking Trump. But I don't like, care if she made a Trump voodoo doll and set it on I, fire. I feel weird about her like making it about herself though. Yeah, I, I do a lot of shit. She told NME, I'm in line with Yoko Ono and John Lennon and the belief. She actually just says Yoko and John because they're <laughs> on the on first name basis. Mm-hmm. And the belief that there's a power to the vibration of a thought. Your thoughts are very powerful things and they become words and words become actions and actions lead to physical changes. Speaking of actions becoming words or whatever. In 2018, Lana was sued by a famous rock band who who accused her of ripping them off for her song, Get Free. I'm not going to tell you which song or rock band. Let's see if you can figure it out. Oh, oh no. I'm nervous. <laughs> Finally, I'm crossing the threshold from the That's fucking right. (laughs) You're so fucking special. So, you know. (laughs) You know. She tweeted in in 2018, it's true about the lawsuit. Although I know my song wasn't inspired by by Creep from Radiohead, they feel that it was and they want 100% of the publishing. I offered up to 40% over the last few months, but they will only accept 100 and their lawyers have been relentless, so we will have to deal with this in court. So what happened? Unfortunately, for Alana Del Rey, some experts believe Radiohead had a legitimate case. <laughs> so uh, this is a, a, from an attorney that they talked to. Uh, that Variety talked to, I would say that this case does cross the line. This Lana Del Rey song is way too close to what is a rather unusual set of chord changes and a very distinctive melody line. I don't think you would offer 40% of your publishing if you believed the claim was frivolous. Also, like, they must have been, like, 
really not a fan to be like, no, a hundred. Well, they fucking hate themselves. They hate that song. They hate everyone. (laughs) Radiohead's an interesting group of birds. (laughs) So in 2019, in support of her seventh album, sixth album, Norman fucking Rockwell, the New York Times interviewed Lana and reporter Joe Coscarelli asked, you have this line in one of your songs, Kanye West is blonde and gone, which is tinged with similar nostalgia, but you performed at his wedding and you also called him out for his support of Donald Trump on Twitter. Have you heard anything in response? I'm very interested in this. <laughs> so she says, no, gratefully, no. Here's the thing. I don't want to elicit a response. You never feel better for having written something like that. But Kanye just means so much to us. And by the way, I'm grateful to be in a country where everyone can have their own political views. I'm really not more of a liberal than than I am a Republican. I'm in the middle. But it was more like the mood and the vibe around, yo, this man's the greatest. Really? The greatest? It hurt me. Did I have to say anything? No, but it's more just the line that represents a lot of things. Why did she perform at Kanye's wedding? Why do any of this? (laughs) Why do this and then say that and then be like, we haven't talked even though we're friends. But I also like don't necessarily, it wasn't a political statement. It's just he's blonde and what the fuck are you talking about, man? Um, and so Coscarelli also asks, you recorded and released a song looking for America in response to a recent spate of mass shootings. What felt so urgent about it? What? She says, the back-to-back shootings within 24 hours of each other. I'm always upset when I hear about anything remotely violent. She said, having just promoted her album, Ultra Violence. Every now and then, like for instance, with the Amazon burning, people wake up and they're like, Wow. This is not just a passing phase. There's something extremely wrong. I like to stay on the periphery, but when you have back-to-back shootings like that, should I say that's when the, should I say that's when it's time to say something? It certainly was for me. What did she say? Also, her video with her like slinging around a gun. Yeah, right. Well, this is la- this is after that, so maybe she woke up. Coscarelli questions soon after that. Uh he asks her if Lana remembers telling Moby that he was in line for the guillotine on their one and only date together because his mansion was too big. What? So Moby <laughs> took Lana out for a date and then afterwards told reporters that she told him that he was in line for the guillotine because his mansion was too big. <laughs> Lana says she does remember that. She does. In 2019, Lana tweeted, never had a persona, never needed one, never will. (laughs) It's just me, baby. Just, it's all me, baby. Authenticity. (laughs) So, in 2019, Lana was romantically linked with Sean Sticks Larkin. Who's that? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) He's a cop in the Tulsa, Oklahoma Police Department. No. Sean is, I'm sorry, Larkin is 12 years older than Lana. So how did this unlikely pair meet? He drove by her gas station on a motorcycle and right. she just hopped on. Put on a headdress, <laughs> fired some guns. 
According to the New York Times, no one really knows how Styx Larkin met Lana Del Rey other than they crossed paths through work in New York and it just kind of hit, and just kind of hit it off from day one, which is what he said. <laughs> so Styx cross paths. paths. Styx is one of the stars of Live PD, no. a show on A&E that premiered in 2016, and the Tulsa Police Department was one of six police departments that signed on. So Larkin is one of the officers, this is from the New York Times, Larkin is one of the officers whom the cameras followed on rounds and in the field, and now he's in the studio helping to host the show with Dan Abrams, who's a broadcast journalist, uh, analyzing the footage on live TV, much like live PD, much like a sportscaster. Live PD cuts between footage of police officers around the country as they make traffic stops, suspected DUIs, busted taillights, respond to calls, domestic disputes and gunshots, and go on high-speed chases on foot or by car. <laughs> the mission of, li- of the Live PD show is to... to I, can't even, I can't even fucking say this. This is from Elaine Bryant. Elaine Bryant. Not Lane Bryant. <laughs> Elaine Bryant, Elaine Frontaine, Elaine Frontaine Bryant. What? Wait, where did the Frontaine come from? That's her fucking, I don't know. This is from Elaine Frontaine Bryant, the executive vice president and head of programming for A&E. She says, the mission of the live PD is to provide transparency of policing in America. It feels like entertainment with a purpose. (laughs) We're just keeping the cops honest. (laughs) <laughs> that's what that's what Elaine Frontaine Bryant says. The reality presented, this is from the New York Times, the reality presented is not a fabricated competition, but that doesn't mean that there aren't winners and losers, especially if you're one of the peacher, people featured on the show who would rather not be. It's not uncommon to hear people say they don't want to be filmed, curse out the camera, the camera operator, or shield their faces. There's no cutaway when these things happen. The show gets by with showing some of the worst moments of people's lives without their consent oh my God. because it's live. That's horrid. It's literally live. How it's is literally that even legal? live. They're not signing a release. Who's going to arrest them? <laughs> According to a- an A&E spokeswoman, Live PD follows news gathering standards like any news organization. Your local nightly news show or newspaper would cover in a story. There is a disclaimer before the show saying not all outcomes are known or final and all suspects are presumed innocent unless proven guilty in a court of law. But the audience never finds out what happens to the people who are arrested. It airs for three hours every Friday and Saturday night. Oh, my God. Six hours a week. Oh, it's so in demand that there's even more. There's Live PD Presents PD Cam in which Sticks Larkin hosts... And Live PD presents Women on Patrol and Live PD Roll Call and Live Rescue. There's Live PD Wanted and Live PD Police Patrol and Alaska PD. And then there's America's Top Dog, which features top canine cops and civilian dogs alongside their handlers as they compete nose to nose. Okay. So they just like took cops and were like, what Uh if we made it live? What if we made it so much worse? (laughs) And like and like did tons of spinoffs. What if what if we made Aviv hate dogs? <laughs> Mr. Larkin helps decide what viewers see. If a disturbance in Tallahassee gets a little boring, he'll cut to an abandoned car in Richland County, South Carolina, or a knife fight between brothers in Lawrence, Indiana. A knife fight between brothers? In Lawrence, Indiana. 
Okay. So, if you've noticed, he's got a weird nickname. Sticks. Yeah. What do you think? How do you... What, tell, How tell is me, it spelled? Me. S-T-I-C-K-S. Sticks. You want to learn a little more about Sticks? How you got his nickname? Sure. I was trying to figure it out on my own, but I don't know. I It's great. It's really good. <laughs> so Sticks is part of a self-proclaimed group of cops called the Jump Out Boys. No. <laughs> Are they a musical group? No. <laughs> Sticks is part of a self-proclaimed group of cops, cops called the Jump Out Boys. <laughs> who drive around in unmarked cop cars and jump out to arrest people. No. And he got his nickname, or so he says, because when he was an intern, he did one of his now famous jump outs to try to arrest someone. And the commanding officer said, hey, fuckstick, you can't do that. You're not a cop yet. And fuckstick got shortened to sticks. Oh, my God. Holy shit. Okay, so you're a cop. Uh-huh. You're super concerned about your life and safety, so mm-hmm. you decide that the best way to go We're about the jump out boys. arresting criminals is to jump out. Jump, just fucking jump out. Element <laughs> of surprise. This, this I took from his direct quote. There's like a Facebook video. It's like a promo for A and E, where he's like, "I'm part of a gang called the Jump Out Boys." Oh my god! How old? <sighs> he's 12 years older. Did you say? He's 12 years older than she is. Yeah. And they're still together? Oh, just wait. (laughs) They're just just beginning their relationship. I'm just giving you some background on sticks. Okay. So, Mr. Larkin, see, this is still the New York Times. Mr. Larkin sees Live PD as a tool, a way to help the public see what policing is like beyond cell phone footage. He says, I think that if we get the whole story and the officer was wrong, hey, he was wrong. Because it's live, he added, the public gets to see what happens in an encounter with the police from start to finish and a chance for the audience to say, well, the reason the officer did this is because we saw what the officer had to do. Okay. What do you think he's referring to? Murder. Yeah. Oh, certainly. (laughs) And the, the show has faced a lot of backlash. Even the Tulsa PD sticks his home turf pulled out of the show for two years in 2017, returning in 2019, right around the time when Styx met Lana. Their first date was a stroll in Central Park. So this show apparently is wildly popular, although I've never even heard of it. Correct. Was he famous? He was, I think, as famous as like a Duck Dynasty kind of guy, you know, or an Ice Road Trucker. Ice Road Trucker. Is that a show? Yes. I was okay. trying to think of other shows. So this is this is from Yahoo. Lana said that she was surprised to see photos online after her date, sharing that this kind of thing didn't happen in her past relationships. Quote, I would have worn something different had I known the paparazzi was there snapping pictures. It's funny because I was with someone for years and we never had that problem. <laughs> Despite the paparazzi shots, Lana said she wasn't nervous for people to see that she's dating an on- and off-screen police officer. Quote, he's a good cop. He gets it. He sees both sides of things. Totally. And Larkin has two kids. One just 12 years younger than Lana. Nice. Nice. She's right in the middle there. 
Stick says that their relationship was pretty normal. When we were in Tulsa, we hung out with my law enforcement friends and their spouses. We all went, we all Super Bowl party together, dinners, and things like that. Normal things that couples do with their friends. Hmm. However, telling his 17 and then 17 and 22 year old children about dad's new girlfriend got the expected reaction. They were kind of blown away, he says. <laughs> Mr. Larkin finds out about the new music from his kids, which he said helps me stay relevant, as silly as it sounds, even in my job as a police officer. If you stay on top of music that some of these guys are listening to, it's something relatable. Mr. Larkin said of the people he encounters in the course of his work, if you stop them... "Ah!" (laughs) And he starts singing. You listen to Outkast? Caroline! (laughs) If you stop them in a car and they've got whoever playing on the radio and you know who it is you start talking to them about it and it's kind of an icebreaker (laughs) okay so in 2020 lana came under criticism of being kind of the paragon of white privilege we're gonna do some dramatic readings here we go here we fucking go here we go so this all started a, a few months after the grammys in 2020 lana posted a lengthy open letter on her Instagram called Question for the Culture. Oh, sounds like it's going to be fun. Uh, Well, it's going to be fun because you get to read, you get to be Lana in our dramatic reading of Question for the Culture. So Mm -hmm. tell me what it looks like first. Typewriter. Typewriter. Courier new. Question for the Culture, colon. Not that Doja Cat, Ariana, Camilla, Cardi B... Kalani and Nicki Minaj and Beyonce. Sorry, there was a break there, so it just seemed like Nicki, but it's Nicki Minaj. Sure. (laughs) And Beyonce have had number ones with songs about being sexy, wearing no clothes, fucking, cheating, etc. Can I please go back to singing about being embodied, feeling beautiful by being in love, even if the relationship is not perfect, or dancing for money or whatever I want without being crucified or saying that I'm glamorizing abuse? I'm fed up with female writers and alt singers saying that I glamorize abuse when in reality I'm just a glamorous person singing about the realities of what we are all now seeing are very prevalent emotionally abusive relationships all over the world. With all of the topics women are finally allowed to explore, I just want to say over the last 10 years, I think it's pathetic that my minor lyrical exploration detailing my sometimes submissive or passive roles in my relationships has often made people say I've set women back hundreds of years. Let this be clear. I'm not not a feminist, but there has to be a place in feminism for women who look and act like me, the kind of women who says, the kind of women who are slated mercilessly for being their authentic, delicate selves, the kind of women who get their own stories and voices taken away from them by stronger women or by men who hate women. I've been honest and optimistic about the challenging relationships I've had. Newsflash! (laughs) That's just how it is for many women. And that was sadly my experience up until that point that those records were made. So I just want to say it's been a long 10 years of bullshit reviews up until recently, and I've learned a lot from them. But I also feel it really paved the way for other women to stop 
putting on a happy face (laughs) to just be able to say whatever the hell they wanted to in their music. Unlike my experience where if I even expressed a note of sadness in my first two records, I was deemed literally hysterical as though it was literally the 1920s. Anyways, none of this has anything to do about much, but I'll be detailing some of my feelings in my next two books of poetry, mostly the second one with Simon and Schuster. Yes, I'm still making personal reparations with the proceeds of the books to my choice of Native American foundations, which I'm very happy about, and I'm sure there will be tinges of what I've been pondering in my new album that comes out September 5th. Thanks for reading. Happy quarantining. Okay, so I just need to go right back to the top. Mm -hmm. Now that Doja Cat, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Okay, so you're naming all women. Uh Uh-huh. And you're saying that they can talk about... They've had number ones. They've had number ones. And talking about... What did she say? Wearing no clothes, being sexy, fucking, cheating, etc. Can I please go back to thinking about being embodied? Feeling beautiful by being in love. Even if that relationship is not perfect. Or dancing for money. Or whatever or I whatever want. Or whatever I want. Okay, so what are your thoughts? Um, hmm. I felt like it was a very Britney Spears kind of voice. Mm-hmm. Like, Tell me more. Like... If you read like Britney's Instagram, it feels a little bit disconnected and sad. Yes. Um, like childish. Yes, sure. And it's kind of like, okay, Lana Del Rey, you're upset because some people criticized you for glorifying abuse. Mm-hmm. All of these women that you just mentioned have been criticized for myriad things. Yeah. Is there anything else that all these women have in common? Women of color. Except for Ariana, but <laughs> Ariana's a whole different, whole different ball of wax. So this is from the BBC. Because she named a list of mainly black female performers who had, in her eyes, avoided similar criticism, including Beyonce, Nicki Minaj, and Cardi B, many commenters felt that she had been tone deaf about her white privilege. They also accused her of overlooking the way that black women in the public eye have been hypersexualized for decades. 100%. So that's what I mean when I'm saying like, it just seems like childish and like she's mm-hmm. ne- she's missing the point. Yeah, correct. Like she doesn't understand the, the long view or the scope of the thing she's even talking about. Cor- and like you, she just doesn't... Why say this? Like, she wasn't criticized recently. She's bringing this up because a black woman got her flowers at the Grammys. Got got her own flowers, right? A, a black woman got uh, an award at the Grammys, and now she's like, oh, so this black person can get a Grammy, but when I sang about wearing an Indian headdress and shooting a gun... Yeah, it's extremely tone deaf, uh, and it's like so self-absorbed that you're like do you live in in this do you live no, here no she doesn't do you live on this planet no she doesn't this is <laughs> welcome to my fucking brain for the last couple of days so this is from insider as a Tulane as Tulane University's Christine Capitola wrote in addition to her reductive descriptions of of their music 
Lana Del Rey failed to recognize black female artists decades long and ongoing struggle to to express their sexualities on their own terms within the realm of pop music. Del Rey also implied that she's more delicate than her peers and claimed that feminism is intolerant of women who, quote, look and act like me. The optics of Lana, a white woman, complaining about feminism lacking space for her while critiquing the acclaim allotted to several black pop artists is mortifying. That's Ashley Reese from Jezebel. My brain is like in this hard to process. Like her, first of all, she said, I'm not a feminist before. Mm-hmm. Now she's now like, she's I'm not, 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 a, feminist. not a feminist, but Correct. there's no room for me here. People can evolve. People can to evolve. a place that there's no room. There's definitely no room for like a white thirty-something woman in feminism who's straight and conventionally attractive. Like, what is she, what is she talking about? No room at the end for you. <laughs> so, Lana got called out, and as we know, whenever Lana gets called out, she makes the absolute worst decision. It's weird that she hasn't even been like more publicly canceled. Oh. Oh, just you wait. Okay. I mean, she hasn't, but like, yeah, I don't know. So this is the BBC. On this occasion, Lana also responded with an Instagram comment insisting that she simply had cited her favorite artists, saying that it was sad to make it an issue involving women of color. And quote, this is the problem with today's society. Not everything is about what you want it to be. That's exactly the point of my post. So this is her, this is her uh, comment thread. To be clear, because I know I'm reading it dramatically because there's lots of W's, you know what I mean? (laughs) To be clear, because I know you love to twist things, I fucking love these singers, and I know them, hashtag that is why, I don't know, I think that's a typo, why I mentioned them. I would like to have some of the same freedom of expression without judgment of hysteria. I haven't had the same opportunity to express what I wanted to express without being completely decimated. And if you want to say that that has something to do with race, that's your opinion, but that's not what I was saying. Now she's on her third comment. This is the problem with society today. It's the exactly the point of my post. There are certain women that culture does not want to have a voice, and it may have to do with may not have to do with race. I don't know what it has to do with. I don't care anymore, but don't ever 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 bro call me racist because that is bullshit. And my last and final note on everything This is her fourth comment now. When I said people who look like me, I meant the people who don't look strong or necessarily smart or like they're in control, etc. It's about advocating for a more delicate personality, not for white women. Thanks for the Karen comments, though. Very helpful. (laughs) Well, that's where you... Okay, let's just say that's true because maybe it is. Maybe she's just really not that bright and... Mm -hmm. She really didn't. No, no, mean she that. seems not that bright. Maybe she. Well, I'm saying let's let's go with her. She studied metaphysics version of herself. Okay, sure. she's just a little trailer park girl that's not that bright. Mm-hmm. Um, Ooh. Then it's about self awareness. Okay, like you have to check yourself at the door and think: Are my words going to have a lingering effect? Could these words be misconstrued? Could these words hurt someone else? No, Could these words be? hurt the cause? Well, so this this you know. This didn't go great for her. <laughs> and then one day, this is all the same day. <laughs> okay. One day after her original post, Lana continued to insist that it wasn't controversial at all, despite national news coverage. <laughs> 
And in her additional statement, she implied that Ariana Grande and Doja Cat reached out to express dis- discomfort in her message. But <laughs> despite the feedback, she doubled down again and released another typewriter letter. Oh, no. A couple of final notes on my controversial post. That's not controversial at all. Despite the feedback, I've heard from several people that I mentioned in a complimentary way, whether it be Ariana or Doja Cat. I want to say that I remain firm in my clarity and stance in that what I was writing about was the importance of self-advocacy for the more delicate and often dismissed softer female personality, and that there does have to be room for that type in what will inevitably become a new wave, third wave of feminism that is rapidly approaching. Watch. Pause. You hear that, Lindsay? A third wave of feminism is approaching. <laughs> um, also, exclamation point after the watch. Is, is watch. Um, <laughs> is there anything factually inaccurate about that statement? Yes. Tell me. Um, how many waves are there? I think we're on the fifth. I was going to say probably about the fifth or sixth. The, the third wave feminism started in the 20s. Literally. Yeah. 100 years ago, Lana. <laughs> Back to Lana. Watch! Exclamation point. Perhaps I could have given more context to my post by mentioning the title of the second book that would be out next March called Behind the Iron Gates, Insights from an Institution. Perhaps I could have pulled on your heartstrings if I had told you that I was institutionalized. But she wasn't. (laughs) The institution is like a fancy pants private school that her parents pulled strings to get her in. All right, let me continue on this. Okay. I'm sorry that the folks who I can only assume are super Trump slash Pence supporters or hyper liberals or flip flopping headline grabbing critics can't read and want to make it a race war when in fact the issue was with female critics and female alternative artists. Alternative artists? Yeah, like all like like uh, I know a what Vanessa they Carlton are. Type. <laughs> who are disassociated from their own fragility and sexuality and berate more sexually liberated artists like myself and the women I mentioned. But in truth, making it about race says so much more about you than it does about me. You want the drama. You don't want to believe that a woman could be beautiful, strong, and fragile at the same time, loving and all-inclusive by making personal reparations simply for the joy of doing it. Nothing new here in your reaction, same as 10 years ago when a million think pieces came out about me feigning emotional fragility or lying about coming from no money when that was the truth. False. My aim and my message are clear that I have control of my own story. If the women I mentioned don't want to be associated with me, that's absolutely fine by me. Okay. What the She's fuck? She's disassociated from reality. And, like, doesn't she have a PR person? Like, I assume someone from Polydor is literally, like, bicycle kicking down her door to wrestle her phone away from her. (laughs) Right. This is, like, Trump tweeting at night. Yeah, it truly is. So, Lana made a further attempt to defend her open letter three days later and compared herself to another woman of color. This time in a six-minute video on Instagram. In that, this is her quote. In that post... My one and only personal declaration I've ever made, thanks for being so warm and welcoming, was about the need for fragility in the feminist movement. 
When I mentioned women who look like me, I didn't mean whites like me. I mean the kind of women who, you know, other oh people God. might I'm not believe. I'm tired of hearing this. The difference <laughs> you keep is, saying the same thing. Oh, oh, she's about to say something brand new. The difference is, when I get on the pole, people call me a whore. But when Twigs gets on the pole, it's art. This is a reference to Lana Del Rey portraying a stripper in the 2013 short film for Tropico, which was criticized for appropriating Latino gangster culture, and to FKA Twigs, who is a trained pole dancer and who said pole dancing helped her recover from having six fibroid tumors removed from her uterus in 2018. What? (laughs) But also, it seems like she wasn't necessarily criticized for portraying a stripper in 2013 though of course people criticize women for everything but it, she was also criticized for appropriating latino culture latino gangster that seemed culture. to be the real problem yeah maybe also, i got very sidetracked when you were saying twigs because in my brain i was thinking about sticks which who just disappeared sure. so is, well sticks, <laughs> don't worry back. sticks will come back sticks will come back okay Lana added, the culture is super sick right now. And the fact that they want to turn my post, my advocacy for fragility into a race war, it's really bad. It's actually really, really bad. Hey, Lana, stop saying race war. I was going to say, I think she's like taking like the George Bush approach by just like saying buzzwords over and over again. Strategery. But you know who else (laughs) talked a lot about a race war? Charles Manson. Oh. That was her guru. That was her guru. (laughs) She's one of the Manson wives. She also expressed frustration that her letter received backlash, though she didn't address any of the specific criticisms she received from artists and fans of color. Quote, it really, again, makes you reach into the depth of your own heart and say, am I good intentioned? And of course, for me, the answer is always yes. She said, I barely share I barely ever share a thing and this is why okay so I don't know what part of this is just like how you're presenting it or if this is actually like how she's orchestrated it like she scrubbed her old persona from the internet like she always seems like alone like yeah, does she I have tr- any friends is I try anyone to do like this. I know her she's she's done she's done uh she's had a handful of relationships that I mostly cut out because they are not that interesting, but it's a lot, a lot of them are with collaborators, right? So her first manager, one of her songwriting partners, uh, a record label executive, she had a relationship with. And so like, yeah, I don't know. Um, this does is anyone like come to her aid when, and be like, I know Lana, like, cause Just usually when, you know, you know, Gwyneth is a fuck up every other day. And then there's always people who are like, who would, who would say, <laughs> Like, no, she's a good girl. No, she's fine. No, yeah, I I don't, I don't know. Not that I can find, and I'm trying, and I'm definitely not trying to take any of this out of context. Um, I'm trying to just like do like a a chronological accounting of what the fuck is going on in this person's life. But yeah, no. She just like Mm -mm. seems like a lonely cartoon character. She seems, and, and, and that is the persona that she created. Or that was created for her, right? She even said, like, I cartoonified my image in 2011, right? So now she is that lonely cartoon character. I think the the uh, the persona has taken over. Okay. In the midst of her video of this video, Lana Del Rey revealed that the title of her forthcoming album would be "Chemtrails Over the Country Club," and this caused some people to speculate that this was all done for publicity. <laughs> I like it. 
I think it's a great idea. <laughs> I don't be yeah, and like this might be true because later on, on a different occasion, Lana defend had to defend the cover art for Chemtrails over the Country Club. Uh, well, let's look at it first. Yeah. Let's look at it and then see what see what she had to say about it. Tell me what tell 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 me what you see. Okay, I see a lot of smiling white people, girls, women. Lana's there. Mm-hmm. She's wearing pearls. Where are they? There seems to be like an ice cream thing in the background. Honestly, yeah. this photo looks very non-professional. Um, so she got some criticism. She, she had to defend the cover of Chemtrails Over the Country Club. And she said, these are my best friends since you're asking today. So this is this is a very weird quote because it's not in reply to anyone. She just came out and said... No, this was not intended. These are my best friends since you are asking today. She wrote, although it was written as a standalone comment and not a reply to anyone in particular. As it happens, when it comes to my amazing friends in this cover, yes, there are a lot of people of color on this record's picture, and that's all I'll say about it. We are all a beautiful mix of everything, some more than others, which is visible and celebrated in everything I do. Yeah, this is the Britney vibes I'm talking about. In 11 years of working, I have always been extremely inclusive without trying to. My dearest friends, I can't believe I get to say this. My dearest friends have been from all over the place. So before you make comments again about a woman of color or or people of color issue, I'm not the one storming the Capitol. I'm literally changing the world by putting my life and thoughts and love out there on the table 24 7 respect it so now i just think there's some kind of untreated mental illness and i hope she's not alone i don't know man hardly one to stifle the moment lana also responded to the australian blog tone deaf which published an article criticizing the cover of chemtrails over the country club quote i'm actually not tone deaf I don't think that there's anything tone deaf about responding to questions about why there are only white women on an album cover when that's just not the case. She tweeted, I'm not going to let people say that something is what it isn't. You're jealous. I get it. Uh, The album cover is confusing. So I think the criticism is that they all look white and she's saying that they are multi-ethnic. In addition to that tweet, Lana said that her new music is great. And described herself as one of the only artists who is genuine. Yeah, she's a narcissist. During the wave of Black Lives Matter protests that were sparked by the death of George Floyd in 2020, Lana shared two videos on Instagram. According to Billboard, the first video showed a man holding a sign that read, No Justice, No Peace. And the second video showed people breaking into storefronts and running away with merchandise. She disabled the comments on the post and eventually deleted them. Yeah, it's like, is she, does she really feel that she is so, such a victim? Yeah, she does. And she's, so, so this is like, this thus begins like the QAnon stage of Lana Del Rey. Now, I don't think that she actually believes in QAnon, but we're about to hear a bunch of weird fucking shit. But like, sorry, back to the like alone thing. Like, does, where are her parents? Does she have siblings? She she has two siblings, Chuck and Chuck. Right. Carolyn and Chuck. I mean, Carolyn and Charles. Where are they? I don't know. 
Like if my sister was having like, you know, a public public meltdown, I would be there. I don't know, man. Also in 2020, in October, Lana hosted a book signing at Barnes & Noble of this book of poetry that she was talking about during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. And in videos and photos from the event, she was wearing a mesh face mask, which is not... holes? Yeah. (laughs) And then, so, okay, fans left comments on her Instagram. So she posted herself on Instagram doing this. (laughs) And fans left posts being like please bestie wear a real mask we're we're truly starting to leave reality here whoa because that's like not even mesh that's like net like yes stocking net yeah fish net thank you so she says the mask had plastic on the inside they're commonly sewn in by stylists these days i don't generally respond to articles because i don't care but there you go same goes for everyone's masks in my video i'm lucky enough to have a team of people who can do that you know what you know who else has a team of people who can do that not a single person on earth because that's not a real thing I mean, I personally don't see it. I looked for it. I I don't. I looked real hard. <laughs> and she also seemed to poke fun at the controversy in the music video for Chemtrails Over the Country Club, in which she wears the same mask. So when she was saying, like, I had a team of people that do it for me, same for the video. This is the video she's talking about? This is the video that she's okay. talking about. So that was a fucking lie. <laughs> in 2021, Lana wrote, that maybe Trump didn't realize he was inciting a riot on January 6th because of his delusions of grandeur. And she would know. The madness of, this is her quote, the madness of Trump, as bad as it was, it really needed to happen. We really needed a reflection of our world's greatest problem, which is not climate change, but sociopathy and narcissism. She said that this was reported by Complex. Especially in America, it's going to kill the world. It's not capitalism, it's narcissism. Is it? Don't those two feed each other? <laughs> Is she a narcissist? <laughs> the day after this interview, uh, Lana Del Rey responded to Complex's coverage of her comments, say, this is on her own social media, okay, Complex, not that our 10-year relationship matters, I guess. Thanks for the cool soundbite taken out of context. I said that the bigger problem is sociopathy, so whether he meant to incite the riot is less important than the larger issue in America at hand, the problem of sociopathy. I'm pretty sure that's exactly what they print. Jesus Christ. She continued, it's fucked up. You know I'm real. You know I voted for Biden. I'm super steady in everything I've ever said. You probably listened to my entire interview, so whoever wrote this is a genuine piece of shit. I am the one helping helping bringing the problem with narcissism to light. Okay, new theory. There's someone injecting people with, with this crazy pills, brain disease. Yeah, and she his patient zero. Kanye, her Kanye got Kanye. Yeah, the 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 brain disease is money. You think? I think so. I think they have mental illness. And I mean, our I, th- I, I doesn't adequately care for people that have mental illness. I think it's both and, but the idea that you're a genius and the idea that you're supposed to push boundaries will allow a lot of these mental illness warning signs to go unchecked to the point that they are not. It's like the point of no return, essentially. She is too famous and too rich 
to have anyone tell her, hey, Lana, maybe this is a bad idea. I disagree. People are telling I mean, her. I mean, right. She's just spiraling out more. She's too, she's too rich and powerful to listen. No, oh, okay. I don't know why I put all these segments together. Sticks, COVID, racism, mental illness. You'll just have to draw your own conclusions about that. But in 2020, it seems like Lana broke up with her cop boyfriend. <laughs> or he broke up with her. From Harper's, <laughs> from Harper's Bazaar. In the wake of the coronavirus pandemic, Lana seems to have been self-quarantined, like most of us, posting a screenshot of her voice memos on her phone. One file read, Grenadine Quarantine 2. Oh, God. While another was labeled, if this is the end, I want a boyfriend. In other words, she and Styx are donezo. <laughs> this is from the New York Times. Styx says of Lana, right now we're just friends. We still talk and whatnot. We just have busy schedules right now. <laughs> Lana's actions, however, tell a different story. <laughs> Styx is holding it all together. Styx is fucking... <laughs> don't make me side with Styx. Yeah. When it came to announce her ninth studio album, she decided to do it on December 7th, which is Styx's 49th birthday. Coincidence? It might be. However, she decided to buy exactly one billboard to promote it in Tulsa, Oklahoma. <gasps> Not a coincidence. Not a coincidence. And she took to her own Instagram to say the, that very thing. So this is a picture of... Lana's Instagram. She's in Tulsa, overlooking her own billboard. And why don't you read the? Uh... It says there's only one, and it's in Tulsa. And then <laughs> she, dead. She co she commented on her own post. It's period personal period. Wait, I can't see the comment. Uh, this, I that's why I told you. Oh, <laughs> she commented on her own post. It's personal. Mm -hmm. It's personal. Shit. This is this is from Tulsa World. This is a local newspaper. She posted an Instagram photo of herself with the billboard along with the words there's only one and it's in Tulsa. Take that to mean there's only one promotional billboard and of all the places it could have appeared, that place was Larkin's turf. She added, "It's personal." What's that supposed to mean? Media outlets have reported matter-of-factly or with a question mark that Lana Del Rey is throwing shade. <laughs> Regarding the billboard, a word that has popped up frequently in the headlines and in social media is petty. Did you know that Tom Petty signed his first recording contract in Tulsa? This qualifies as a different kind of petty. I fucking love local journalism. Great. That was great. Fe fellow music artist Alex Ander posted this on Twitter. Quote, Lana Del Rey putting up one billboard to promote her new album in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where her ex lives, is the type of petty I live for. <laughs> Among national publications that have written about the billboard is, ironically, Billboard. Great. Larkin, reti Larkin retired from the Tulsa police force in 2021 and, according to his Twitter bio, now co-hosts On Patrol Live. And hosts a podcast called Cocktails and Cocktails. <laughs> um, I'll have to take a listen and get back to you on my feelings. Yeah. Meanwhile, Lana's ninth album came out in March of twenty. The Billboard advertising such uh, came out in March of twenty twenty three. It's called "Did You Know There's a Tunnel Under Ocean Boulevard," 
and it references a mosaic-roofed tunnel under Ocean Boulevard in in Long Beach that's perfectly preserved because no one can access it. It's been closed up since 1967. This is true. This is true. Okay. Yeah. So Lana opened up to Billboard on how this record, she's finally talking about her past in songs. Quote, In this album, I got to really finish my thoughts and get super specific, which I was not comfortable with completely before. I do list my grandpa, my brother, my dad, and my uncle Dave. In the song Fingertips, I sing, Charlie, stop smoking. Caroline, will you be with me? Will the baby be all right? Will I have one of mine? I think I was able to open up about this because Mike was so, Mike is her producer, was so casual to work with. All in my living room. It allowed for that. Hmm. So the the Billboard interviewer asks, are you nervous about being so forthcoming about your family in this record? I was. I was so uncomfortable. Then, by the grace of God, I felt completely unburdened. By my narcissism. Keep that in your head for a second, the grace of God. Oh, okay. Billboard asks, your father, Rob Grant, is releasing an album on Decca Records in on, in." On June 9th, and you'll be featured on two songs. Has he always been musical? And Lana says, my dad has always played the piano, and he sang when I was younger with my uncle, who's a traveling organ player for Emmy Lou Harris and Buddy Guy. They wrote country records back in the day. I don't know how and when it came to him, but I think he just decided he wanted to record it. And my manager played it for Decca Records, and they loved it. So I guess nepotism cuts cuts both ways. (laughs) Shocker. Shocker. Stereo Gum writes, Ocean Boulevard, there's a, did you know there's a tunnel under Ocean Boulevard, mm-hmm. is marked by absence, through death often, but just as poignantly through omission. Lana lingers in her grief on fingertips, singing about the death by suicide of her uncle, whose funeral she missed because she was performing for the Prince of Monaco, and she wonders aloud if her father, sister, and brother will be by her side in 10 years. That is, if she makes it that long before her DNA atrophies. Where's her mother? She's a lacuna, an ellipsis in a later verse. What kind of was she to say I'd end up in institutions? Lana Del Rey sings. What the fuck is wrong in your head to send me away, she cries. And suddenly, it's no wonder she's having second thoughts about motherhood on the same song. And then, of course, there's the mouthful of song title, Grandfather, please stand on the shoulders of my father while he is deep sea fishing. A collaboration with a classical pianist, which finds her looking for signs that someone is up above sending her butterflies. So not to not to release an entire album full of unproblematic tracks. The the there is an interlude. The fifth track on the album is an interlude called Judah Smith Interlude. The four the four minute track gives an uninterrupted platform to Judah Smith, a preacher at the Christian megachurch church home. Smith, Del Rey, and producer Jack Antonoff are all listed as co-writers on the song. And Lana also thanked Smith in a Facebook post a few months prior, quote, for giving me good guidance and for letting me record part of his sermon for this record. Is Antonoff producer on the whole record? Yes, he is. Okay. He's, he also produced your last record. Okay. I think Jack Antonoff should probably retire. He's, he's doing too much. You're doing too much, Jack. <laughs> In the song, Smith denounces a life dominated with lust and praises God as the fascinating artist who fashioned it all. Quote, the spirit of God says, I'll infuse you with desires for what you have and what is in front of you. 
Many fans, especially those who identify as queer, were divided in their reactions to the Judas, Judas Smith interlude. One Twitter user called it creepy, while another said, it's giving conversion therapy cult leader. Which doesn't sound super divided to me. No. Indeed, Smith has reportedly made homophobic comments in the past, and according to Marie Claire, he called homosexuality a sin comparable to murder, rape, or living with your girlfriend. Oh my god, this guy, okay. This is from a 2005 interview, which is no longer available online. I wonder why that is. Churchill is also is also associated with Hillsong, an Australian megachurch best known for attracting famous followers like Chris Pratt and Justin Bieber. Dude, Chris Pratt. Justin Bieber once led worship at Churchill, and Smith was featured on Bieber's 2021 EP, Freedom. Hillsong has long been associated with anti-abortion and anti-LGBTQ views. An NP- a report from NPR described it as an ultra-conservative church with a dark past, including connections to pedophilia. Wasn't Kanye in this church, too? Sure was. I remember I don't know reading if he was an in... article about this, like, in maybe the I don't Atlantic? know if he was in Hillsong. He was, he was in something else. But welcome to where I've landed. And you've, you've, you've been circling it the entire time is that she is the white woman's Kanye West. Yes. <laughs> She's a talented artist with clear mental issues that needs help and that lashes out whenever she's criticized. Yeah. Yeah. However, some of some fans of Del Rey have defended the Judas Smith interlude as satirical or ironic. The Daily okay. Beast writes Del Rey is the exact type of person who would attend a celebrity-studded megachurch both for a cleansing of the soul and to lambast its intrinsic flamboyance with her friends. What do you think about that? I think we need to go back to the Gaga saga. That's why this is the song. (laughs) She's created a persona that she can no longer control and hasn't been able to control for eight years at, at minimum. Well, I personally hope that she gets the help that she needs. I do too. I hope, I mean, I hope that Kanye gets the help that he needs too. Like, and he said some fucked up shit about me personally, but like the, you know, all of these people who are very public artists who have very public breakdowns, like we shouldn't laugh at them and we shouldn't turn them into, you know, circus attractions. And we also shouldn't do the shit that the Daily Beast is doing, being like, oh, that's so, that's so Lana, just playing four-dimensional chess with the Hillsong people. No, she's fucking not. Right. She said, through the grace of God, I was I was freed, or whatever the fuck she said to Billboard about her. Uh, I was so uncomfortable about seeing about my family, but then by the grace of God, I felt completely unburdened. Does that sound like a satire to you? Not necessarily, no. The BBC wrote in 2021, Lana doesn't seem inauthentic, whatever authenticity is. Rather, she looks like a proper pop auteur, one who doesn't try to be accessible, relatable, or anything else that pop stars are supposed to be in the social media era. For years, we have had no idea who Lizzie or Lana might be behind closed doors. In this respect, she recalls old school enigmas like Prince and Kate Bush. 
Artists we can't and don't want to picture doing anything as mundane as making a cup of tea. This only enhances her appeal to intensely invested fans who just don't enjoy streaming her music but owning a piece of her art. Okay. What are your thoughts? I mean, that could be said for anyone or anything. And... I think that... I, I agree. I think this is also the danger. <laughs> They're like, she's fine. Everything's fine. She's just... It's all... It, it's all authentic. None of it's authentic. It's all satire. None of it's satire. She's totally fine. She's a lunatic who's posting racial screeds, but that's just for... Uh, that's just for clicks and to advertise her thing and uh, advertise her book or her album. She's everything and nothing. Yeah. What are we going out on this week? The song Nothing from Chorus Line. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> We're going out on The Grants, which is the first track from... Lana's Did you dad's know that album? There's... Oh. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It's it's the first track off of her new album. It's okay. named after her. It's her family name, the Grants. But it's a song about nothing. One, two, ready. I'm gonna take mine with you. Ah, mine. <laughs> Say it again. Mine, mine of you with me. You. Thank you. One more time. One, two, ready. I'm gonna Where can people find us on the internet, Lindsay? Find us on the internet at Lyrics for Lunch on Instagram and Twitter. And for longer and weirder stuff, drop us a line at lyricsforlunch at gmail.com. If you listen to us on your podcatcher apps, check us out on Podcasts on Vivo. We're there every Tuesday. If you're a podcast on Vivo watcher, sorry about how itchy my nose was in this episode. And you can check us out audio only wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends about us. Tell your enemies about us. Don't don't tell Lana about us. <laughs> don't. Uh, so and, and tune in next week when we do this all over again with a song that is definitely a cry for help. And until next time, I'm Aviv Rubenstein. I'm Lindsay Tucker. Saying, does she, does she have friends? I just want her to have friends. But, but. Do you think about heaven? Your man.